You're listening to the Footnotes Podcast, the weekly sermon companion from the teaching team at Real Life. This is a chance to dig a little deeper, chase a few rabbit trails, and touch on some topics that the team may have not been able to fit into their Sunday sermons. We hope this provides a glimpse behind the scenes at the discussion that helps form each week's message. All right, welcome to Footnotes. I am Paul Patterson. I am joined with Aaron Couch. Hello. Derek Murphy. How's it going, guys? And Max, whatever his last name is. Peterson. Yeah. He's, uh, Max, what are what are you? I'm a kid from Brooklyn. No, I'm from Boise Bible College, and I'm an intern here this summer. And I'm just here to observe and potentially chime in. We'll see how it goes. We'll see. All right. Uh, first off, we apologize for the fact that it's been uh, two weeks without a Footnotes podcast uh, between the Memorial day weekend that kind of threw off our work schedule and last week um just to confess we didn't want to do it uh we're gonna we're gonna make sure to do it this week uh but a word of warning there will probably be no footnotes for the next two weeks due to vacations and different things happening um just so to let you guys know all right with that said uh we have come out of romans 7 we are jumping into romans 8 and we've talked a lot about the flesh, uh, the sarks, as we introduced it. We've been talking about the spirit. And uh, one thing we kind of wanted to entertain a little bit is this idea of the union of flesh and spirit. Um, it, it's easy for us to fall prey to this idea that, that flesh is bad, but it's not. And that is not Paul's point. Paul's point is that our flesh... Uh, isn't only who we are. If we only live in the flesh, if we only live as animals, uh, bending to our immediate desires and appetites, then we will produce death in our life and the lives of those around us. And so what Paul's introducing here this week, the solution to that, uh, what we what we finished in Romans 7, uh, the, the solution to that problem of why do we don't do the things we want to do and why do we do the things we don't want to do? Uh, his solution to that is this unification of the sarks and the panuma, the flesh and the spirit, uh, that we were created to be this perfect combination of soil and spirit. And so as such, one of Christ's redemptive work is to once again introduce the spirit, the breath of God back into our lives, that we, uh, that, that is where we would live from. And so Derek, you brought up something earlier about um, uh, the implications of, um, or the uh, complications of a dualistic uh, view. I'm trying to remember what you said. Yeah, I just, you know, if you're looking at flesh and spirit, how do we not get into the, the problem of making that into this these two parts, these dualistic parts? And so I was, I was just asking that question, throwing it out there. You look like you're going to say something. Uh... I will say something. Will, will, will you? <laughs> I will say something, and then, even if it's wrong. You don't. You usually don't need prodded. So. Um, so the Derek brings up a good point, and it is uh, important for us to wrestle with that. Like, what is the difference between dualism, which essentially means all things that are physical are bad, and all things that are spiritual are good? What's the difference between that and what Paul's talking about? Because you can get this idea that because the flesh uh, feeds this uh, temporary desire, um, then then it's all bad. That's not Paul's goal. Paul's goal is that when we 
live to gratify things that are temporary in nature and we lose sight of the eternal agenda of the redemption of all things, it becomes, that becomes bad. The flesh isn't bad. The goal is that the flesh becomes integrated into a feeding of the eternal truths that the universe is actually designed to operate by. Mm. So our spirit then is given this power through the Holy Spirit to be able to lay down the temporary gratification, the temporary fix, the the fleshly desires, not because they're bad, but because they're temporary. It's not bad to, if you stick your hand in a fire, it it gets hot. It's not bad to pull it away. That's not bad. Mm -hmm. That's actually good. Um, What we want to do is make sure that our our fleshly desires aren't just about our own self-preservation, temporary fixes, temporary gratification, but that they're focused on the eternal agenda. Yeah, so it's easy. In church history, you can you can find that we fall into this temptation of dualism, that we will elevate the spirit over the flesh. Uh, and, and biblically, that's just not a good view. Uh, we are both flesh and spirit. It's not one or the other. Um, and so one thing we were talking about was how... Uh, Christ is attempting to remove that line that we draw between the two. Every fleshly act we commit is a spiritual act. Uh, er- everything we do is a spiritual thing. You know, it, you just jog my memory about something. First Corinthians 7 uh, talks about marriage and um, don't withhold yourself from one another and all that stuff. One of the theories that's actually a really good theory about why Paul writes that is that the, the Corinthian church believed that the crowning achievement of Jesus's work on the cross had nothing to do with sin. It was the introduction of the Holy Spirit to the church. And you see that in the Corinthian letter, especially there's all kinds of Holy Spirit problems going on there. Like there, if you can, if you, if you picture the, the spirit being the crowning work of Jesus, like the, the best thing that he did was the, the pouring out of the spirit onto the church. Well, then what would you want to do with that? Well, you'd probably want to make sure that people knew how much of the Spirit you had, which would be an abuse of the gifts and and all that. Like, you can see how that would absolutely be a good theory for the letter itself. But Mm. what what this theory promotes, and and I can't remember the author off the top of my head, but uh, what the theory promotes is that because they believed this, they wanted to be more spiritual, more spiritual, more spiritual, more spiritual. So the women were holding out on the men. They weren't having relations with their husbands. So the husbands were having to go to prostitutes to deal with it. And Paul says, this isn't right. Um, We do know that at some level that was actually going on in the first century Corinthian church. The question is why, what was it? And so the theory is, is because this whole spirit, when we get the flesh is bad, spirit is good mentality, Mm -hmm. we start to lose sight of how we integrate the flesh into the spiritual life day to day. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, once again, it's not, the, it's not about the flesh being bad. It's that the flesh has a proper function in our life. And when we, when we only act in flesh is when it becomes destructive. So when, that's when we become animals and we rip ourselves apart and rip society apart. It's just as destructive. It's destructive to split them apart in the sense of trying to focus on the spirit. Mm-hmm. It is just as destructive to split them apart and try to focus on the flesh. Yes. The, the only way that we do it better is to understand that everything is profoundly integrated and spiritual and, and eternal, that all of it has these ripple effects into all the dimensions of how we're designed. Mm-hmm. And that the goal is total integration into a way of partnering with God and putting the world back yeah. together. And, and this is why everything we do matters. I mean, everything matters. Like 
you, and we talked uh, one time in the past about how sex is a profoundly spiritual thing. Like you can't, like it's not just a physical act. It, it's a profoundly spiritual act. And that's not, that's not just true for sex. That's true for uh, all the physical things we do. Everything our members, to use Paul's terminology, does is a spiritual thing. And vice versa. All the, all the spiritual things that we do are also profoundly physical. You can't say that you love God without a physical yeah. expression of that in the world. Like they got to be integrated together, mm-hmm. whether it's religious duty uh, giving, worshiping, a church attendance—it's a—it's an integrated whole of the of both. But when we try to separate them out, uh, we become fixed on the flesh, and that always even even in religious activity, we become fixed on the flesh. Mm-hmm. So we give, but we give to be seen, or we give to appease the gods, or whatever. But we're not giving from a generous heart because mm-hmm. it's not integrated. It's a self-serving purpose. Mm-hmm. Yep. Something I uh, you said last week when you preached that I really liked was the flesh doesn't get the last word on who you are. Like that's it's there's good there's good stuff there, but it's like God's the the one who gets to say who you are. And I, I don't know if that's that's maybe a little off topic of where you guys were going with it, but it's like uh, that influences how we use our flesh. I think uh, what God says we are, and then we get to actually put that into practice in our lives and how we live out you know being spirit and flesh all in one yeah and it is important to note that paul's distinction here is my flesh and god's spirit it's not my flesh and my spirit Mm -hmm. it's my flesh and god's spirit because the spirit the law of the spirit of christ is bigger than the law of my own spirit it's not about my own willpower it's about living underneath an integrated approach through the the holy spirit living inside of me and this this all goes back to once again Genesis two, that like when we were created, we were formed from the dust of the earth, and then God breathed His breath of life into us. Um, once again, this is a long biblical story that is the same story that God has always been working on, that He is attempting to restore us as, as humans uh, to who we are fully meant to be. Um, which, if you hold, if you get that idea, this changes the way that you might, that you may have viewed the Holy Spirit in the past. Like, it's not just some magical, mystical thing. This is actually, once again, Genesis two. This is the essence of our life. Uh, this is what makes us, turns us from a, just a fleshly body to a living being. Uh, is this dependence on and this gift that God has given us to to live, uh, to live fully. You, uh, Aaron, you mentioned something about the law of Christ, <clears throat> and we were uh, t- uh, pulling this part a little bit earlier about this debate between uh, Shammai and Hillel about what the greatest commandment is and how this relates to us and how, and then we get to what we talked about, the law of Christ. So if you want to kind of set that discussion up for us. Yeah. So uh, when we start talking about what is it, this, what does it mean to live under the Spirit and we start wrestling with um, truth and how we follow the rules of truth and all that stuff, it gets really important how we define what the law of the Spirit is. And um, I think all of us agree that truth is truth, whether I accept it or not. We all agree there. Where we don't agree is what is truth and where does truth come from and 
how do we honor the truth in in a relationship and and so like this this is not a new debate um where does where does tradition blur the lines of truth and where does where is their clear biblical mandate and where am i misreading the bible to say i think this is true but it turns out it's not true like this is all part of the debate but you can't keep all the law all the time this is not a new reality this is the truth we can't keep all the law all the time so for example in the law um, you can't work on the sabbath and um, if your neighbor's donkey falls in a ditch you're required by the law to help him get his donkey out of the ditch well what happens if his donkey falls in a ditch on the sabbath do you help him or do you not help him so how we how we prioritize what's most important really matters so this is a great debate amongst the rabbis uh, long before Jesus was born even, but Hillel and Shammai, these two big camps, Hillel, they all agreed on the greatest commandment. The greatest commandment is honor the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Absolutely, without question. Uh, it's the second commandment that they start to struggle with. Shammai said the second commandment is honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. This is the sign of our covenant to the world. This is how we tell God that we love him. Of course, this would be the way that we would, the, the second most commandment, uh, most important commandment. Hillel said that the second greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. And you can see the problems with that. So, for example, in the conversation that Jesus has on whether or not it's lawful to heal on the Sabbath. Well, do we honor the Sabbath or do we honor people? Do we honor our neighbor? That foundationally influences how we have that conversation. Now, that's true in today's world as well. Um, think about some of the moral hot buttons and at the risk of being too controversial, what do we do with, uh, what do we do with gay marriage? What do we do with abortion? What do we do with um, pedophilia? What do we do with all kinds of these hot buttons? Like how does the church respond to this shooting in Orlando, for example, and uh, I, and I've seen all over Facebook all different kinds of responses where some people are like, well, it's their penalty for sin, and that guy's he's standing up for what he believes, and, and I've seen that end of the spectrum, as well as this, we mourn, we pray with you, we hurt for their families, you know, Jesus, how we prioritize those things really matters. So when we're in this discussion of the law of Christ, what we have to make sure of is that when we have that conversation, that what I what I stand on as truth is really the truth, and that we never lose sight of, again, we've used this verse a ton, but Micah 6.8, when we talk about walking humbly with our God, that we at least hold our truth with a moderately open hand, because it's possible that God has something else that he wants to show us that maybe is not in line with our truth, and that... That's the piece that we've got to be really careful of, uh, is that, is, does God have permission to tell us that our truth isn't true? Yeah, I love what you said earlier, Aaron, before we started this, that the, the primary unifying factor for the church is the spirit, God's spirit. Yeah, I, I, I was reading a blog post earlier this week, um, and the person was saying that unity in the church has to be unity in truth. We have to unify around the truth, the truth. Well, if that's the case, then number one, who gets to pick that truth? 
And you can't say, well, the Word of God picks that truth because we're all reading the same Word of God and we're all seeing it differently. So somebody's opinion about what the Bible actually says has to be the trump card. Hmm. Well, as soon as that happens, then it's not a unity around truth anymore. It's a unity around somebody's opinion of truth. That can't ever be the unifying factor. The unifying factor for us has to be the Spirit of God. Yes, we we are going to disagree. Look at church history. Look at the disciples themselves walking and talking with Jesus disagreed on what the truth was. Uh, They had all kinds of debates about that. But when we're unified in the Spirit, what we can say is we're going to have a discussion about that. And yet, at the end of it, we're still unified by the same Spirit living in us, and that matters because we put God on display well. Well, and that was that was the logic of the early church when they saw that the Spirit came upon Cornelius and his household. Like, if, if the Spirit is going to go to them as well, then how can we not, how can we deny that? Yeah. So good. Can't argue with that. That is such a good example. Yeah, like, yeah. we if, if, if Group A, Group B, and Group C all have the Spirit, then... Uh, to quote Paul from this week, then we, we both call God our Father. As such, we're siblings, so we need to act like it. Which is a fun point, uh, just as a quick side note. Uh, when Paul says this week in Romans 8, uh, through the Spirit we call him Abba, Father. We often focus on the Abba part, the Hebrew uh, word for Father. But we translate the Greek word for father into English, and we shouldn't do that. He uses both the Hebrew word for father and the Greek word for father to make a point that this whole discussion of what he's talking about in Romans 8 isn't just about my flesh and my spirit and my struggle. It's about our flesh and our spirit and our struggle, that we are in this together, that both of us, uh, with, no matter how different you are from me, we both call God our father. As such, we need, we need to act like that. Um, but to bring that back around, yeah, uh, so yeah, you were talking about Cornelius and the Spirit. Um, you were talking about the Spirit, and I brought up Cornelius. Um, like, that's, yeah. And this should be what marks us as different, is the fact that Greek and Jew are family. That And see, that just that statement that you just made, God had to do something so dramatic to Peter, because yeah. up until that point, without question, Jesus is a Jewish Messiah. Like, mm-hmm. the fact that... Peter has his vision of the sheep with coming down with the clean and unclean animals. And God says, arise, kill, and eat. And he says, well, I've never eaten anything. Don't call anything unclean that I've made clean. And we look at that and go, well, that means that we should be able to eat uh, pork. Which isn't the point, because Peter, Peter's confused by that. Well, yeah, like, it's hilarious to me that Peter has this vision three times, and he's like, I have no idea what this means. And those of us 2,000 years removed from there are like, oh, I have that. I totally have it. I understand that. Yeah. I totally get it. So Peter then goes to Cornelius' house and he goes, oh, that's what the vision was about. <laughs> it wasn't even about food. It was about, oh, is this the Gentiles? Oh, God, that's a revolutionary principle you just showed me. Like, yeah. that that's holding our truth with an open hand. Peter, now, the fingers of the implications of that truth, he still was working out, we know, because... Paul has to chastise him for getting up from the Greeks and eating with the Jews when they show up. Well, and this this leads to the whole uh, Jerusalem Council meeting, and like the, this is a big deal. Absolutely, but the at the end of the day, even the Apostle Peter himself, the one who spoke, who has given the keys to the kingdom, who was the Pentecost voice box, mm-hmm. like the man, even him, still had to hold his truth with an open hand because God wanted to show him something new. Yeah. So you use this phrase, the law of Christ, and I, I thought it'd be intriguing just to 
uh, trace this phrase through the New Testament. Um, my, my favorite place to start is, is John 13. Uh, during the Last Supper, uh, right before Jesus is going to be arrested, before he's going to suffer, before he's going to die, he says uh, he gives his disciples a new commandment. And um, so it's new, something about this is new. And then he says that the new commandment is that we love one another uh, as he has loved us. And what's weird about this is that it's really not new. Like we, we've been told in the Old Testament to love one another. Uh, what, got, what Jesus changes, though, is the basis of that. Uh, in the Old Testament, is that we would love one another uh, as we love ourselves. But Jesus changes it to say, love one another as I have loved you. Uh, now Jesus himself, God himself, becomes the standard uh, to which we are to love one another. So he introduces this new commandment, and what you'll find throughout the New Testament is that different writers will refer to, as you talked about, the law of Christ, that this is our supreme ethic. This is the law that we are subject to. So Galatians uh, 6 will talk about bear, uh, bear each other's burdens, and in so doing, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Uh, Paul will use it again in 1 Corinthians, and John will use it in 1 John. Uh, just talking about like this. This is our this is our ethic. Uh, when it comes down to choosing one or the other, we should always default to loving people. Uh, that this this is the law of Christ that we are under. And I think I I was as I was talking. Uh, I bet you can make a case that there is a direct connection between that and the law of the Spirit that Paul introduces this week. That the same the same Spirit that Jesus gave us. When Paul uses the law of spirit, this is what he's referring to, a law that produces love and life around us. Sure. What does is, what is Paul say most of the time when he talks about the spirit? I mean, he says the spirit of Christ about half the time he uses the word spirit. Yeah. I love uh, Galatians 5.13. You, my brothers, are called to be free, but don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another in love. For the entire law is summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Like that that whole piece of Pauline theology is if our relationship, our walk with the Lord, if that isn't somehow translated into how we treat one another, I mean all the one another's of the New Testament that we talk about all the time, the serve one another, love one another, bear one another burdens, forgive one another, forgive one another, all those things. Um, they're all they're, those are all Pauline. It's all rooted in the fact that we have to love each other the way Christ loved us. If we can't do that, then foundationally, you know, even if even if Paul didn't write Hebrews, the the consider how we can spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Well, how do we do that? We got to do that because without neglecting the uh, assembling of ourselves together. Mm-hmm. We have to do it in community. We do it in relationship. We've got to do that. Well, and John will emphasize it through his epistles. Uh, James will James will make the connection not just between love and taking care of people, but also faith in taking care of people. Like he he like to have faith in God means that we take care of people. While Paul and the other ones will say to, to love God means we take care of people, and not that they're not that they're mutually exclusive, but he's just approaching it differently. Um, so why do you think the is this church, one of your questions that just like throws know, off the whole thing? Maybe. Right. Why do you think the church has gotten so um, focused on if we're watering it down if we don't 
tell truth. Like if we don't go up to the person who's a sinner and say, you're a sinner before, you know, first, then we feel like we're watering it down. Uh, I mean, how do we get to that point? Uh, when we're at this point saying, Hey, really the truth about this is that we need to love each other. Like actually Christ loves us. Not just as like you were saying, Paul, not just Mm -hmm. as we love ourselves. How do we get there? Well, I have many opinions about that. (laughs) Yeah, I don't, man, that's, that's just a big question. I think a piece of it is the Western mind desires resolution. So we want, we want things to be in their box and our conversation is about resolving the issue, who's in and who's out, who's right and who's wrong, who's good and who's bad. Uh, where, where do we cross the line? Or like, how do we know we're saved? Where's the, where's the line where if you don't believe in eternal security, where's the line where grace runs out? Where's the line where we've turned our back on God too far? Uh, if you do believe in eternal security, where's the line where we know we're in? Um, we all want those lines that those are foundationally just not answered in the scripture because the Bible wasn't written by Westerners. It was written by Easterners. Mm-hmm. The conversation changed once stinking Greeks got a hold of it. And by saying stinking Greeks, it's us. We're Greek yeah. thinkers. Yeah. Well, it's funny. There's just this desire um, because I grew up in the church. So it's like you, you can't go out and, and love this person without also telling them, well, I don't agree with you. It's like, why do we even have to say that? Why do we have to say, oh, I don't, I don't agree with you. Just love them. Yeah. Uh, truthfully, like if you're going to hang out with someone, you're going to find out really quickly that you don't agree with them. Like you don't need to make that the beginning of your relationship. Like it, just as long as you know you're wrong, I'll love you. But, yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah. You don't well, have to do and that. I and I can tell you, having been in in the Middle East multiple times, it is hysterical to watch them. They disagree with each other all the time in public, loudly, <laughs> like loudly but because resolution isn't the goal they i mean they yell and both hebrew and aramaic whether you're looking at palestinians or arabs or israelis it doesn't matter they're just aggressive languages and so they'll be talking at each other and you're like it is about ready to get real they are going to throw down right here and then they'll and then all of a sudden they'll laugh and hug each other and leave like what just happened? I mean, they were pointing fingers, they're nose to nose, and then all of a sudden they laugh and they hug each other and, and everything's fine. Hmm. Because they can disagree and not have to be right because the relationship's the priority, not being right. Yeah. So, so go back to your question, and I think this will actually kind of bring it back to the beginning where we talked about. Um, yeah, yeah, the idea once Greek philosophy got a hold of Christianity, um, and really it was actually more Christianity got a hold of Greek philosophy and pulled it in, uh, we started seeing the introduction of dualism, uh, that there is a, that, that the flesh is bad and the spirit's good, and that over time produced, uh, we need to stop the, the fleshly things, we need to put those aside, we have to live in the spirit, on the spirit side, and so you start seeing the, um, the condemnation of the flesh over and over and over again. Uh, and, to, and to make this even more compounded, uh, Christianity no longer becomes a movement of communities and people. It becomes a political power. It now becomes something that is state, that is uh, intrinsically tied to the state, so it becomes a political influence. And we still have that today. Like, we mix our patriotism with our religion all the time. And so now it's no longer just about... The, the law of Christ, it's about the laws of our nation and about the laws of this. And so we, I think, I think we have some of that dualism still going on today. And I think the melding of our, 
um, politics with our religion is another thing that we really that has caused this attitude of the church that we are so well known for of being quick to talk about what's wrong with the world rather than trying to love people yeah I'll love them if, but they're lazy so I won't do it <laughs> as long as you serve the American manifesto yeah. Yeah. I'll love you as long as you're a democracy yeah alright anything else Max you got some yeah Max you truth. didn't say anything you guys covered it all you did great <laughs> we, we get the Boise Bible College stamp of approval yep sweet <laughs> wow, wow. <laughs> As three graduates, that should matter, right? <laughs> that should that should matter. That shouldn't matter. All right. Well, hey, we're gonna call it. Uh, we're gonna wrap it up with that. As I said, we probably will not have footnotes for the next couple of weeks just because of people taking vacation trips, like me. Uh, but thanks for joining us. Until our next footnotes podcast, keep digging and uh, love you. You're awkward, Paul. I know. Thanks for listening to this week's footnotes, and please keep the discussion going. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can connect with us by emailing comment at liferotp.com or find us on Facebook and Twitter at liferotp. You can find the individual members of the teaching team on Twitter as well, or just visit us on a Sunday morning and connect face-to-face. We hope you'll join us again next week. And until then, God bless.